0: pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the mouth of Tim and Brian be a joy in your sight, and may all our common reflections reflect your glory. Amen. A person is known by the company they keep. Some might think that that familiar quote comes from the Bible, but it doesn't. I looked it up, it's from Aesop, that guy that wrote all those fables. But you know what that means, don't you? A person being known by the company they keep. That the people you associate with says something about you. I took my son Carter and two of his buddies to a soccer match on Wednesday night, up in Cincinnati. And even though I had to listen to their horrible hip-hop music the whole way up to Cincinnati, they slept the whole way home after the match. But as I drove home after that match as the boys were sleeping I thought to myself how glad I am that Carter hangs out with these guys because both of those boys are good kids. And I want my kids to be around good kids so that the goodness of the group might rub off on my kids, on all of them. And then on the other end of the spectrum we know that we would rather our kids not hang out with people in that rougher crowd. That rougher crowd always makes parents nervous. But along comes Jesus. And sure enough, we see that he's hanging out with that rough, that wrong crowd. All the tax collectors and sinners were coming to him to listen to him. The Pharisees and the scribes, they were grumbling. and This fellow welcomes sinners. He eats with them. Unfortunately, these Pharisees and scribes, the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, they get labeled as re- religious snobs. But they have a point. You see, the tax collectors worked, at, worked for the hated Romans. And not only did they work for the hated Romans, they collected more taxes than they were supposed to because they could. And then they would pocket as much as they could. They were thieves. In other words... The tax collectors were sinners. And when the religious leaders spoke of sinners, well, I'd like to quote from A.J. Levine, who is the Jewish professor of the New Testament at Vanderbilt Divinity School. Here's what A.J. Levine says about sinners. The Gospels generally present sinners as wealthy people who have not attended to the poor, Sinners are individuals who have removed themselves from the common welfare, who look to themselves rather than to the community. In other words, in the eyes of the Jewish religious leaders, sinners are those who break the law, which means they do not love their neighbors as themselves. And in not loving their neighbors as themselves, they show that they don't love God either. It's kind of hard to disagree with that. And it's not just our religious leaders in our story today who talk like that. It's also in the Apostle Paul, who himself was a Pharisee, when he's talking to the church at Corinth with one messed up church. He says this in 1 Corinthians. But now I'm writing to you not to associate... With anyone who bears the name of brother or sister who is sexually immoral or greedy, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or robber, do not even eat with such a one. Even Paul says, don't eat with such sinners. And yet Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. I like what A.J. again says about that. Yes, Jesus eats with them. That's part of his genius That he recognizes that they are part of the community and he goes out to get them. Did you hear that part? Jesus recognizes that they are part of the community. After Jesus catches on that the religious leaders are grumbling about what he's doing, he tells two parables. Parables, stories that make sense, but they also have a twist in them. Parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin. That's what we call them. And usually, here's how we translate those parables, even though that's always scary to try to translate as having one meaning. Very often we understood that, that lost sheep, that lost coin, are sinners, or outsiders who get rescued or saved by God. And now they're part of the saved who have been found. I don't think those parables mean that at all. For one thing, the sheep and the coin that are lost, they're never not a part of the community. That lost sheep was always part of the flock. That lost sheep belonged to the shepherd before he got lost, while he was lost, and after he was found. The same thing with the lost coin. That lost coin always belongs to the woman. In other words, as A.J. Levine said, they are always a part of the community. And as far as being lost, the sheep and the coin, they don't do the losing. They don't get themselves lost. Did you you hear that in the reading? Here's what Jesus says to start that first one. Which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them? Notice who does the losing? The shepherd loses the sheep. The same thing with the lost coin. What woman having ten silver coins if she loses one of them? In other words, the sheep and the coin are always a part of the community. I say all this to suggest that these parables aren't about the unsaved outsiders who get saved. Actually, these parables really aren't about the lost sheep and the lost coin, even though that's what we call them. Because really these parables focus not on the sheep and the coin. No, the focus is on the shepherd and that woman. The focus is on that shepherd. He's so focused on finding that one lost sheep that he leaves the 99 out in the wilderness and searches and searches and searches until he finds that lost sheep. And the focus is on that woman who turns her house upside down and does not quit until she finds that one lost coin. So maybe instead of the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, maybe we ought to call it the parable of the ever-searching shepherd. Or the parable of the ever-sweeping woman. Or maybe just call them parables of rejoicing because that's what this is about. Now, what might these parables say to us? Perhaps most importantly, Jesus wants to remind us that no matter what happens in our lives, we matter to God. In those times when we have found ourselves lost, Jesus reminds us that our God is always going to be chasing after us to find what had been lost but has always belonged to Him. And all of us have had times of lostness. Perhaps we found ourselves lost after a tragic event. A loved one dies. An important relationship is broken. The diagnosis that we hear from the doctor is a bad one. Perhaps we find ourselves lost because we're blinded by bitterness or rage, anger, anxiety perhaps we found ourselves lost because we have made poor choices in life and the poor choices have led us to being lost no matter how we might find ourselves lost though Jesus reminds us that Jesus that God never ever quits chasing after us because we belong to God we are part of God's community perhaps. We might see this in the parable as well. If we want to find out where God is, maybe we should go out to where the lost are because that's where God is. God is out and about finding those who belong to them but who are lost. That's where God is. So maybe that's where we should be among those who are lost. And lost in the sense of not... Saved, but lost in the sense of belonging, but all alone. But you know what the church has done so many times? Instead of chasing after those who are lost, we've set up barriers to separate ourselves from those who are lost. Actually, we've been very good about making others who are loved by God instead feel like they don't belong to God at all. We, the church, want to proclaim that we are saved and that those who are different are lost and unsaved. In my 20 or 30 years of ministry, one group that I've seen that the church do this to so often, with the church labeling them as the lost, as just wrong, are people in the LGBTQ community. You've heard me talk several times about my involvement in PFLAG, which is parents and, parents and family and friends of lesbians and gays. I've talked to you about stories of young people, or people even my age, who are reflecting back on an earlier time, who have been condemned, who have been shunned, who have been told how they're going to hell. And Most of the time, this comes from family members. Who have learned this from their churches. Even from youth group members. And one of the main reasons why I still go to PFLAG. Is that if there is someone there who shares such a story. That I tell them that I'm a minister. And that they have been been treated wrongly by the church. That that's not at all how Christ would treat you or how followers of Christ should treat you, and that you are a loved child of God just as you are. In other words, I would remind that person, if they're lost at all, it's because how they have been treated by others. But there is always that ever-searching shepherd, that ever-sweeping woman, who is always chasing after you, because you have always been that loved sheep and that precious coin. Now I know y'all didn't come to hear me talk today, but I have. I'm going to be quiet now and let Brian Wiley and his dad Tim come and share. Tim? Then after that Brian is going to sing for us and that will be our song of invitation this morning.
1: Good morning. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Scott came to me and asked whether or not I would share my son's journey. I'm very proud of my kids, but today I want to talk about Brian. About age 18, Brian was home from college. He said, Dad, I need to talk to you in private. I said, Okay. So we sat down in his room. Brian said, Dad, I'm I'm afraid. I'm scared. I said, Why? He said, I just need to tell you this. I said, go ahead tell me. He said, Dad, I'm gay. I said, so? He said, really, Dad? I said, so? He said, Dad, you wouldn't believe how many of my friends, dads, have disowned them. I said, you're kidding me. Disown them? Shame on them. Shame on them. You know that when, we're, when we receive a child, that child is a blessing from God. And God charges us to love that child, nurture that child. I couldn't be prouder of my son. Now, if you hear me getting a little emotional, it's for good reason. Brian told me, he said, Dad, what, what date was it? When did you decide to be heterosexual? I said, what? He said, when did you decide to be heterosexual? I said, there was no such date. He said, exactly. He said, do you realize that when I was in high school, I would cry myself to sleep almost every night, praying to God, make me heterosexual changed me. He even contemplated suicide. Oh, that broke my heart when he told me that, though we didn't know that. We should have. And then he went off to college from high school where he was bullied. And in college was was even worse because he received death threats underneath his door and slips of paper, banging on the door, come on out, fag, come out. How do you think that made us feel? My son overcame that. He's the head of the deacons at Florence Christian Church. He found a church there that's so accepting of all, all means all. What do you think Jesus would preach? We know what Jesus preaches. He preaches love, love. At this time, I'd like to introduce my son. Many of you know him since he was a small child, back to his church. I'm very honored to introduce Brian Wiley.
2: That's hard to follow. Howdy, y'all. For those of you who don't know me, you're probably wondering who's the little guy and where are the other members of the Lollipop Guild? (laughs) Is there a magical ring that needs protecting from the Shire? No. Um, I am Brian Wiley, and this is the church where I grew up. I am the son of Tim and Paula Wiley. Brother of Katie Snodgrass, brother-in-law of Jody Snodgrass, uncle to Harper Kate, Molly, and Sadie, and grandson to Lena and Ray Cox. My family means a great deal to me, partly because they've helped me to get through so much in life. For starters, they made sure that I was brought up in a church that was kind and loving. However, it's impossible for any family to be there all the time. Growing up it was made clear to me by the other kids in my class that I was different. I was the smallest of my class and I was never ever in any danger of being called butch. Bullying on a daily basis and the discovery at about age nine that I liked other guys in my class uh, led to a deep depression and I spent years struggling with just how a gay man could also be a Christian. And according to many fellow Christians, I was going to hell. My prayers to God became long and intense and I'd ask for him to either let me die in my sleep or to forgive me if I ended up taking my own life. Suicidal thoughts would come to me regularly and eventually I realized that I had to try to accept myself at least on some level or I would probably be dead soon so I started to come out to my friends and family and I was even fortunate enough to have a youth pastor and a pastor here that I could be open with hopefully most of you will remember Ann Schmidt and Glenn Burkett the last person in my family that I would come out to would be my grandmother Lena Cox was a true saint she was the most devout Christian that I've ever known and she's still my hero Coming out to her scared me because if she even gave me so much as a frown, I think I would have fallen to pieces. But when I came out to her, when she was 92, her reaction was, you're exactly how God made you, he loves you, and I love you. Sadly, not everyone shared my grandmother's views. Highland had become somewhat of a safe haven for me But when it came time to decide whether or not to openly accept LGBTQ members into the church, it caused a rift among the congregation. It shook me pretty deep to my core to see the church that I loved go through so much discord over whether or not to accept people like me, me who grew up playing in these halls and learning about the love of Jesus. I stopped going to church for about 10 years after that happened. The next time I would see Pastor Glenn Burkett was at my grandmother's funeral. Since my grandmother had been my hero and so Christ-like, I wrote her a letter, sealed it, and placed it into her coffin. I didn't tell anyone else what I had written. Only I and my mama's spirit knew that I had told her I was still scared of being gay and how God might judge me. I asked her to put in a good word for me with God immediately after the funeral. And without any prompting from me, Pastor Glenn Burkett approached me and started to talk to me about other gay Christians in his life, about how members of the LGBTQ community are loved and accepted by God. I truly believe that my grandmother sent me a miracle that day. Fast forward to now and I belong to a church in Northern Kentucky where I'm accepted and loved. I'm a deacon, a board member, I'm the diaconate chair, and I serve on multiple committees. I'm trying to work to help create a safe haven that I needed as a child. I love you, Highland. You are my home church and always will be, and I hope that you will be the safe haven that so many other children and adults need today.